to episode 127 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is on the cusp of making the long journey across campus for his new position here at Grace mm-hmm. College, John Scott Sloat. You know what I realize is I will no longer have a key to the studio here. Oh, yeah. I'll lose that. So you're going to have to be the keeper of the key. Yeah, yeah. Which 90% of the time you open up the studio. I mean, pretty much we only use this studio together, so it's yeah. really not. Yeah. And you can still you can still access the master I could, key. I could figure it out, yeah. yeah I you could get you have there. access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have your ways. You're connected. So, well, John, we're doing something a little unusual in that we're recording this episode on a Friday – yeah, what, what, gosh, because, what is today? Today's um, the 3rd, June 3rd. Yeah, and this won't launch till June 7th on that Tuesday. So um, why are we doing that, John? Uh, I'm in Arizona at a conference. So, Yeah, now see, most people try to schedule trips to Arizona, I don't know, when it's colder ra- sure. rather than – this is Phoenix? Yeah, Tempe, Tempe, which I think is just just outside of Phoenix. Okay, now is that cooler than Phoenix? Like, no, I don't. Th- I, I, I don't think so. So we're looking at like a hundred and five degree days, hundred and ten degree days. I, so I'm in a hotel the whole time. So I, I don't, I don't know. And, and what is the nature of this? Uh... So it's for my current role, uh, advanced pastoral degree program. So engaging with schools and and uh, and advisors and deans that are all doing similar work to what I currently do. Okay. Okay. So it'll be, uh, yes, uh, getting a bunch of seminary, broad seminaries together uh, yeah. to, to have conversations. So yeah, I'll talk to, I'll hang out with some Lutherans. There'll be some Baptists there. I even think some Presbyterians show up. I would think the, the, the people to hang out with in the social times would be the Lutherans and maybe some Presbyterians. The Baptists less so, I would think. Yeah, the Baptists just honestly want to navel gaze and talk about themselves. You know, they just <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah, the Baptists can be a little annoying. But but side note, we love our Baptist friends, and convictionally, we are essentially absolutely. Them. We we just don't want to hang out with them. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, gosh, who do I end up hanging out with? Um, Palm Beach Atlantic, which I don't know what denomination they are. I'm not sure. Uh, normally, I talk to the Baptist a little bit. Biola's there, so I'll talk to them a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm buddies with the guy at Iwu because we're you know an hour apart. Yeah. Very different people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm trying to think who else I hang out with. Uh, we're taking our, our deans going as well as a theology professor from Grace. So yeah, we'll prop yeah probably see the Lutherans and the the. Presbyterians quite a bit. And and your lovely wife is going, yes? No, no, no she's not. No, okay. No. Just okay. Nope, gotcha. she's working. So it's just it's three days there and they schedule stuff to like nine o'clock at night. Arizona time. Yeah. That's like midnight here. That's like midnight here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm trying that's to like, like three hours past your bedtime. I'm trying to like push my bedtime back and <laughs> leading up to this trip. But I also know like my plane leaves at 7 a.m. Monday morning. Plane oh, f- Fort Wayne or Indy? Fort Wayne uh, to Detroit and then to Phoenix. Okay. Uh, and I land in Phoenix. So I leave at 7 a.m. I have a four-hour flight from Detroit to, to Phoenix. I land at 9 a.m. Yeah. 
Full day ahead of you. Time travel is so strange. <laughs> it is strange. It is strange. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to the show and tell us strange things about your time travel, you can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. Email the show, podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube, Various and Sundry Podcast. And we would always appreciate a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you access the show. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's dive right into sports, John. Um, we're a little hamstrung by recording four days in advance, but uh, there has been one NBA Finals game. Yeah. And uh, did you watch any of that? I did not. I watched the Mets last night. It's on night. ABC. You can actually see that without a cable subscription. Really? I should have tuned in. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Boston won game one against Golden State uh, despite uh, Stephanie Curry uh, going off. Stephanie on, Curry? Yeah. OK. OK. That was intentional. That was All very right. intentional. Yeah. OK. Uh, I can admire him as a remarkable basketball player and not particularly care for him. So, OK. OK. Um, I, the antics. I just uh, – not not a fan, um, so I affectionately refer to him as Stephanie. The uh, he he hit six threes in the first quarter, had twenty one points. Yes, on Twitter last night I saw that the most popular prop bet on one of the overly advertised gambling sites. Yeah. Uh, the one of the most popular prop bets was that he would score less than twenty seven points in the game, and he had twenty. What? How many in the first? Twenty-one quarter? in the first quarter. Twenty-one in the first quarter and thirty-four in the game. Yeah, it was weird though. He had twenty-one in the first quarter, didn't score in the second, and then the second half he, you know, ended up going over that number. But um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I still don't know what to make of of Boston winning Game One last night um, for the long term series. So we'll see. By the time this episode drops, there'll be game two, uh, which kind of is a, a must – not quite a must win. But yeah. but when you're the home team and you lose game one, y- y- it's hard to overcome losing the first two games on your home floor and then going on the road. Yeah, Boston seems to just be getting hot at the right time of year. Yes, they're a well-constructed team. They have good pieces. Hmm. So, I mean, Jason Tatum is a legit superstar, I think. Uh, and Jalen Brown is a good uh, kind of Batman – or sorry, Robin to, to Jason Tatum as the Batman. And they just got good pieces around him with uh, Al Horford. Um, Horford had 26 last night. Yeah. And um, uh, their shot blocker. I, is it William? I Williams the third. Yes. Uh, tall, athletic, uh, good shot blocker inside. Um, and just they, they have good pieces. So they're they're a well-constructed yeah. team. Although they won by, I mean, they won. They won convincingly, right? By by twelve. Uh, but Jason Tatum only had twelve points. Yeah, yeah. Others certainly picked up the slack. It was a weird game because I mean, Golden State was up by as many as like fifteen in the third quarter, hmm. and then in the fourth quarter, um, I think Boston outscored Golden State by twenty four. Hmm. That's not going to win you many games no. if you get outscored by twenty four. So. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that series develops. Uh, baseball, Mets still trucking along? Yeah, they played. So it's it's going to be a tough weekend. Uh, they're in L.A. So, A, the Dodgers are very good. Yeah. B, the games don't start till 10, 10 p.m. 
Okay. It's unfortunate. Well, uh, uh, that's going to be out on the West Coast while you're in Phoenix. Yeah. So the, well, there's one advantage right yeah, there. I considered a drive from Phoenix after the conference from uh, from the hotel to San Diego where they'll be playing. Okay. I think that was like an eight-hour, eight, nine-hour drive. Yeah. So I decided against it at the end of the day, but yeah. I I thought about it. Did you look into plane tickets? Like catch a quick hop to, to, to <sighs> San Diego? I did, but I think it was too late by the time I thought of that. Okay. Um, yeah. But – yeah, here's where, and again, I here's where I wish the U.S. had a much more developed train system. I look, I get the arguments against it in terms of economic models and that sort of stuff, but wouldn't it be great if you could just hop on a train? Yeah, that would get you there in like you know four hours. Mm-hmm. You could work on the train. Yeah, you, you could do a lot on a train. Yeah, that's that's one area that it, uh, I. I wish we had more developed here in the U.S. Anyway, uh, one other sports note you wanted to bring up? Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. Yeah. No more Fitz magic. If guess How many years in the league do you think Ryan Fitzpatrick had? 15? 17 years. <laughs> That's crazy. How many teams do you think he played for? 17? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it felt like it. It felt like every he, year it was on a different team. He was the starting quarterback for nine different teams. Okay. That's, yeah, crazy. And what are you going to miss about Ryan Fitzpatrick? The beard. The beard? I I think I'm going to miss him stealing his teammates' clothes and going to a press conference <laughs> dressed as, I think it was Deshaun Jackson. Do you remember this in Tampa? How could he? Like Deshaun Jackson's not a large man. I I would think that no, but he put he put on that like like suit looking thing he had. I don't even know what to call it, but it, he did not have a shirt on. He had these big aviator sunglasses and a gold chain with. And Deshaun Jackson comes to the press conference without clothes on, you know, or without a shirt on, and it's just like, dude, what are you what are you doing? And a Harvard educated man, correct? Yeah, yeah, went to went to Harvard. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's wild. So, so uh, no more Fitz magic. All right. Uh, are we ready to talk some uh, mere evangelism here? Sure, sure. So we read uh, the introduction in the first three chapters. It was a I, I read them last night. Yeah, uh, an easy uh, easy read, beneficial, yeah. really good, uh, engaging, uh, told good stories, weaved in uh, Lewis stories and quotes really well. Um, I appreciated it. Yes. Um, so. The introduction um, uh, tells a little bit of Randy's own conversion story, mm-hmm. which is which is fascinating. He he's Jewish and grew up in a Jewish home, and um, and so didn't become a Christian until uh, he was in college. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was interesting that uh, that that his experience. Um, resonated in some ways with Lewis's in terms of the um, just coming to Christ not as a kid but have and, and mm-hmm. intellectually coming around to the faith um, so uh, what, what were some things that stood out to you uh, so after the introduction we said the first three chapters we're discussing right yeah so chapter one is on the necessity of pre-evangelism um I- you know, I, I just appreciated how he uh, 
talked about, you know, talked about different aspects of Lewis's life and how he either did pre-evangelism or mm-hmm. engaged in pre-evangelism, even talking about Lewis's wife, Joy, uh, who, you know, had to have some of her own uh, communist leanings deconstructed in order yeah. for her to come to Christ. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy the framework that he has here that mm-hmm. uh, that uh, he put forward something that that you and I have talked about before, the law of nature, right? That, mm-hmm. that this thing that there are some universal uh, truths for humans uh, that are out there. Yeah, and at some level accessible to all human beings, mm-hmm. even fallen human beings can recognize these realities. Um, he has a, a helpful statement here on page 25. People's presuppositions, their underlying often unspoken beliefs about themselves, God and the world – either set them up for belief in the gospel or for the rejection of it. Some assumptions pave the way for acceptance. Others need to be torn down. And at the bottom of that page, he has a a pithy little quote, we may need to blast before we can build. Mm -hmm. The idea of helping people to see the inadequacies of their own uh, views so that they are then ready to abandon them and embrace what a biblical worldview is. So um, yeah, I think uh, this is something that becomes a theme throughout much of the book in what I've read so far. I've got maybe the last three chapters to read. But um, the the reality that um, we, we oftentimes maybe need to take a little bit more of a, a slower burn, a, a long-term approach to uh, evangelism. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and doing the pre-evangelism that you know, sometimes the Lord might give us an opportunity immediately to um, to get right to the gospel, and other times it might take multiple uh, efforts, uh, multiple conversations. To oh get yeah, there. oh yeah. I appreciate the slow burn sort of um, uh, method. I think uh, there's. I'm I'm trying to think of my own bringing my my own rearing in evangelism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think when he describes aspects of evangelism in the first three chapters, like uh, basically the simple gospel, get up to him quickly, get it to immediately, see objections as as, uh, demonic obstacles to overcome, that feels a little bit more like my rearing. And so there's something about Mm -hmm. this that rings uh, helpful and and, and good to me. Uh, I'm I'm curious, what – as you think about evangelism and your background with crew, how does uh, Randy Newman's uh, method here strike you? Well, I, I will just say, um, again, I was on staff with crew now over 20 years ago. Sure. So, so maybe, maybe some things have changed. Things have changed, I think, to some degree. But towards the end of my time on staff, um, uh, I was moving more towards a little bit more of a gradual kind of approach like mm. this. Not that um, – uh, yeah, just looking for opportunities obviously if if the conversation naturally led itself to be able to fully present the gospel, great. But if not, to be able to just think, OK, how can I move this person a little bit closer yeah. to being in a, in a spot where they're ready to hear the gospel or embrace the gospel? Um, other than Randy Newman, what was – what's the last book you've read on evangelism? Well, I'm not even sure. Um, 
I think it was probably Mark Dever's book. I think it's what's it called, The Pastor and Personal Evangelism. Okay. Okay. But that was probably seven, eight years ago is my guess. Yeah, I was thinking six, seven years ago for me. I, I read uh, Fool's Talk by uh, Oz Guinness mm-hmm. about evangelism, and, and he would call it the recovering the Christian art or recovering the art of Christian persuasion. I think is what he would say. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, chapter one on pre-evangelism was was really helpful. Uh, chapter two, where he deals with what he calls, uh, I want to get the term right, the appeal to clues. And, and this is where he talks about um, looking for clues in our human experience that mm-hmm. provide entry points into discussing uh, realities related to the gospel. Um, you know, he talks about how C.S. Lewis uh, addresses the idea of uh, of pain as an entry point, uh, that, that idea of longing, that those are clues to realities that transcend our everyday experience. I appreciate him uh, encouraging some ref- some pre-reflection on clues, mm-hmm. like looking for evidences of God's uh, fingerprints or God's uh, intentionality in creation, in mm-hmm. the world, yeah. uh, and giving some forethought to that. So when you get to the moment of evangelism, uh, yeah. it, ca- it can be helpful to point to those clues. Yeah, and that's something that comes out throughout the book is uh, at points he will sort of stop – and encourage you um, to spend some time reflecting on entry points, on conversation starters, on things. So it's not just a do that. It's not just a here's what I think, but there are points where he stops and says, no, 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 take the time to reflect on. Uh, and I, I think one of the biggest barriers to evangelism that people run into is that they're not ready. Mm-hmm. So that even when God provides opportunities where they're having a conversation with somebody that they're – I know this is true of me. Like I get caught off guard and you're like, oh my gosh, that was just a wide open door and I wasn't expecting it or ready for it and therefore I might have missed it or I kind of clumsily stumble through the door rather than oh, yeah. be ready. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what emerges from this is the um, the emergence of, of – of having thought through in advance so that when opportunities present themselves or when you are able to create opportunities that you're ready for them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I liked his emphasis on clues there in chapter two um, experiences. And at one point he makes there on page 41, uh, this approach has an ironic advantage. Clues are not proofs. They don't pretend to completely settle the issue. Mm-hmm. They suggest more than they insist. They ask someone to consider something rather than surrender to it. And so doing clues may actually accomplish more by attempting less. I think that's really true. That sometimes in evangelism we can think in terms of arguments and there's an absolute place for that. And he does talk about that later in the book. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, being able to use clues that then people – that make people think and without resolving it for them, just sort of letting them sit in it for a little bit and reflect on it. Uh, rather than feel like, okay, here's your objection. Here's my answer. Okay, next question. Like, it takes it less from the argument stage into the conversation. Like, well, isn't it curious that this is the reality? What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. How do we how do we put that together? Like, what do you make of this kind of thing? So, I, I found that really helpful. The idea of clues. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Enjoyed clues. Should we should we move on to chapter three? Yes. Okay. Honoring objections. Um, he kicks us off with talking about the great knock. 
<laughs> yes. You want to explain for our readers who maybe aren't following along? Yeah. So uh, as as C.S. Lewis went through schooling, uh, his I believe his father thought he had some deficiencies, and so he sent him to London to this guy. Oh, what was his name? Kirkpatrick. Uh, to basically learn Latin and Greek mm-hmm. and they sat in his attic and read Latin and Greek and uh, read the Odyssey, read you know uh, mm-hmm. different uh, Greek literature as well, Plato, Aristotle. And uh, the great, Lewis and surprised by joy uh, calls him the great knock. Yes, uh, <laughs> which, which I always appreciate. Um, and he was a he was a he was a person that, I think was a little overbearing, uh, yeah. maybe a lot overbearing, uh, and demanded logic to everything that Lewis said in right. the midst of living with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think um, there's a there's a there's a a balance here in the sense of um, he addresses how sometimes objections are viewed as smoke screens. Mm-hmm. And um, you know makes the case for let's let's not just assume that they're smoke screens, which I agree with, um, and I don't think I'm saying anything that Randy would disagree with here, uh, but um, sometimes they actually are, mm-hmm. uh, and so part of the challenge can be just sort of exploring to what extent an objection is an objection rather yeah. than a smoke screen, and I think some of that's just kind of hearing people out, mm-hmm. just sort of. Help me understand why that's a barrier to you. What, what if that could be resolved? Would that what would that make a difference yeah. in in your willingness to embrace the gospel? Like, um, and, and and being ready for objections. There, there's sort of a broad range of objections, but um, he uh, where is it here? Um, let's see. Is it in this chapter? Maybe it's not. No, it must be in a different chapter. I've, I read past this, so I'm, I'm, I don't want to spoiler alert there. But um, yeah, I, I, I like the way he handles this in terms of respecting it and um, and yet addressing it graciously. Mm-hmm. So um, are we good to move on? I, th- I think so. Uh, I mean I found all three of these chapters uh, encouraging and challenging at the same time. And part of what makes this book and even Randy's approach to evangelism I think is it's – when you read it, you think, I think I could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this doesn't seem like this overwhelmingly impossible task where mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, I could never do something like that. Like, well – I think with a little bit of effort and some thoughtfulness, I, I think I could kind of basically do that kind of thing. So uh, next uh, Yeah, what do we next read episode? next week? Yeah. I think we should probably do um, – let's see. That was one through three. Yeah, that was one through three. Let's do four through seven. Four through seven? Because okay. then we'll do eight through – we're, yeah, we're doing this in three chunks before we interview Randy. Yeah. I believe so. Yep. Okay, so we'll do four through seven. Okay. All right. Well, uh, in light of our book discussion, we we will have shorter main topics, and so that seemed like the perfect time to talk about our main topic today is Taylor Swift. Of course it is. <laughs> what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> I mean, it is summer, so I mean, you know, why not talk about Taylor Swift? Why are we talking about Taylor Swift, John? 
Um, well, she just gave a commencement address just not that long ago. Two weeks two, ago. Two weeks yeah. ago, three weeks ago uh, at uh, New York University. Yeah. Uh, received an honorary doctorate. Yes, of, of fine arts. Yeah. That uh, I I don't like honorary doctorates. Oh, don't get don't get me started. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I like them even less than you do. I think. So. Um, yeah. Well, you you actually have one. You know. Uh, uh, yeah. Received an honorary doctorate, um, and she poked fun at herself for getting an honorary doctorate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She didn't take herself too seriously. Yeah. She's not going to be walking around calling herself Dr. Taylor Swift. Dr. Swift. No, no, she is not. <laughs> um, maybe for like a week, uh, but but beyond that, probably probably not. I'm just um, waiting for some album content out of that in the future, right? Oh, I mean, she'll she'll totally turn that. It'll be called commencement or something, you know, something something like that. I don't know. Um, but uh, she gave uh, she gave the commencement address. Uh, I, I I have you listened to it or read it, read through it? Not the whole thing, no. Okay. I listened to the whole thing this morning. It was 20, 25 minutes. It, yeah. It, uh, and I think it was a little long because it was – there was so much cheering and eruptor of sure. cheers yeah. in, in between what she was saying. Uh, but uh, she had this really interesting quote that I think grabbed our attention and gives us some clues uh, toward the longing of uh, the current age. Yes. Um, so in, in the midst of this commencement address, she says – I'll read it right here. Uh, I know it can be really overwhelming to figure out who to be and when, who you are now and how you act in order to get to where you want to go. I have some good news to you. I have, gosh, I have some good news. It's totally up to you. Yeah. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Yeah. So uh, – I think that captures I – th- I think that captures well um, both the desire of self-creation that, that we see from, gosh, um, certainly millennials. I would mm-hmm. argue it first came out and certainly in Gen Z as well, as well as the angst, fear, anxiety and uh, general terror that comes with – that also, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, for it sure. it kind of captures that. And uh, yeah, so what, what are your thoughts? I've talked for a while now. Well, I think um, there is that sense of um, both of those elements, right? There's there's the excitement, the, the seemingly endless possibilities that that mm-hmm. kind of approach seems to present. Um, you know, it, it, in one sense, this is the sort of Fuller expression of what um, what I like to jokingly refer to as the gospel according to Disney. Mm-hmm. So it goes way back, well before our current cultural moment of, you know, look inside yourself. You can be anything you want to be. Yeah. Just look into your heart. Trust your heart. No one else should be able to tell you who you are, what you think you – like it's all about you. Mm-hmm. And whatever you want to be, you can be. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Um. So, you know, Taylor Swift is just she's a she's a product of that. Oh yeah, and um, uh, and our culture is absolutely immersed in it. So, it's not even like and she's made a ton of money off of this. Oh sure, sure. Um, you know, it's but I want to be clear. We as Christians need to be careful. And, and Carl Truman makes uh, 
does a good job of addressing this in his um, in his book. Um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on the title? Um, Rise and Triumph. Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, where basically um, we as Christians need to be careful because this is the air we breathe in our culture, and so it's not just sort of out there. Those other people. We're constantly influenced by these same currents in our culture of self-definition and autonomy and those kinds of things. Sure. We may wrap it in a, a God's will sort of veneer. Yeah, uh, but, exactly. But at its core, it's the same, it's the same truth. Right. And um, you know, when you get down to it, fundamentally, it's the same reality as uh, what we find in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about uh, when the serpent tempts Eve, in essence, I mean, he starts with, did God really say? Which, mm-hmm. and then by the time she actually takes the fruit, she is, uh, she is bought into the, I can determine for myself what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I can determine for myself, in essence, who I'm going to be and how I'm going to live without the oppressive um, constraints mm-hmm. that God has given me because clearly he's holding out on us. Mm-hmm. And this is just the, the most recent form of that basic premise oh, yeah. that's suffused our culture. And I think – but part of what I really appreciate and one of the reasons why I think it's good for us to talk about this is too often – you hear the first part of what she says, um, this, this idea of I have some good news. It's totally up to you. Wow, endless possibilities. I can be whatever I want to be. Mm-hmm. And then uh, – and for some people, that is naturally attractive uh, in a sinful way. Mm-hmm. But for other people, that's terrifying, overwhelming. How am I supposed to figure this out? What, what, what do I even begin? Yeah. What if I get it wrong? Like, 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 all all that sort of angst that it produces, um, you know. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Like, she's she's tapped into the the, the great philosopher Taylor Swift, Doctor Taylor Swift, Doctor Taylor Swift, uh, has tapped into the the, the both and there, mm-hmm. endless possibilities, overwhelming possibilities, paralyzing. Um, and so, how would you, um. As we we interact with college students, seminary students, and um, so what are some ways that you think we can help address students who find themselves in this uh, sort of uh, kind of cultural moment where they're bombarded with this message and they – regardless of whether they think, oh, this is great. I can define myself however I want or I'm completely overwhelmed. I have nowhere to – no idea where to begin. How do we help students move away from that to a more biblical understanding of identity? Yeah. I mean in, in one sense, that's just a really, really big question and probably has different answers for the two different types of students that you described, right? So you have the one type of student that is very much like, oh my gosh, I'm excited about all the endless possibilities. I'm going to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably sitting down with this, that student and going like, Okay, so what are your gifts, talents, uh, those sorts of things, and and how can you use those to serve others? 
Um, and and how do we de- and then how do we sharpen that into a into a vocation? And how do we how do we take that and and, and mold that? Yeah. Um, the the other student, it's <laughs> you know, uh, it's just some real practical advice. Is turn off social media and pick a lane. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit. You yeah. know. Um, and and then and then work on, on serving others. You know, at, at their core, while they have separate, you know, I think you deal with each of those students a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. At their core, they're both incredibly selfish right. ideologies. Yeah. Um, the one is saying, "Oh my gosh, I get to do whatever I want," and the other one's going, "Oh my gosh, I have to determine what I do or who I am." Right. Um, so yeah, I I, th- I think I think you deal with those students differently. Answers can be actually mm-hmm. pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, an important starting point is reorienting them towards um, your identity is not something that you determine. Mm-hmm. Uh, your identity is rooted in the fact that you are made in God's image mm-hmm. and that that comes with um, a certain set of realities that – are not up for debate for you. Are not up for you to change, to alter, to um, you know, to try to reshape. And and those things that are determined for you are not meant to bind you, but ultimately to cause you to flourish and and, yeah. and be more free. Yeah, yeah. I think um, and helping them to see that there's a there's a value and a dignity that comes from being made in God's image mm-hmm. that transcends you. Uh, and anything you do or want to do or be. Um, but I also think that when it comes to uh, to that whole area, um, I, I think a, a piece that is often missing, especially in our context, we tend, tend to talk with ministry-minded students or um, people who are in those directions. And it's the, it's the community piece. It's the... Okay, even as you're talking about, so what are you? What are your gifts? What are your interests? Like that—that's an important place to to start. Mm-hmm. But okay, what have others said about you? Yeah, yeah. What, what if people who know you well, parents, maybe a youth pastor, friends, like what would they say are areas of strength and gifting and how they can see or what they've already seen God use you in certain ways or things like that, so that it gets us out of our navel gazing to. Oh, there's some some sort of objective outside of myself checkpoints where someone says, "Wow, I really see that you're a great listener. Like you're a good friend to people, and so you, you're you're mm-hmm. compassionate in those ways." Like, okay, you might have a sense that that's the reality, but it's way more helpful to have someone else confirm that because all of us have this gap between our reality and our self perception. Mm-hmm. And we all know people whose gap is significant where someone's like, oh, yeah. oh I want to be – I'm going to be this. Mm-hmm. And you're like – inside you're thinking, no. Yeah, I remember <laughs> – like, No way. No way. I remember sitting down with a student uh, years ago, um, years ago um, and him telling me, a freshman student, he go, he's I think an engineering major. And goes. I'm gonna. De- I'm gonna become an architect, design churches, and then I'm gonna preach in those churches, and thousands around the world are gonna come to Christ. And I just kind of went, "Are you sure?" 
and, and then, you know, kind of got to push back on that. You know, so so what does local church involvement look like? Well, you know, I don't go to church. Like, hmm. okay, okay, what? Yeah, what's who you gonna who you gonna who are your mentors? I don't have mentors. You know, you don't. You know, sort of sort of kind of your parents behind this. Yeah. Well, uh, they they believe in me. You know, the sort of sort of that right. vagitude. Um, but uh, but yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. We, did you just make up a word? I did. I did. Did you like it? <laughs> I was like, vagitude. I, I'm not uh, – yeah, that, that's a new one on me. Yeah. I'm still trying to determine <laughs> a definition for it. But I mean maybe if you had an honorary doctorate, you could get it to stick. I did. Well, I'll call NYU. Yeah. 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 Do, do you think they might be willing to grant you a doctorate of, uh, no. of fine arts? No, I don't even think they'd grant me admission to a graduate school to tell you the truth. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so um, I, we've got a couple of resources to point people towards. Uh, we'll throw those in the show notes there. Um, Carl Truman's book, not the Rise and Triumph, which is like the 400-page challenging reading version. Uh, now we've got the uh, shorter, condensed, more Two, accessible 200 page version. Yeah. Uh, Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists reduced, uh, redefined. redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. And then a new book that just came out last month that I have not read. But I haven't read it either, but I've seen it. Great things about yeah. it. And I know the scholar, Brian Rosner. He's an Australian uh, biblical the- theologian, wrote a book with Crossway, How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. So – uh, that'd be something to consider picking up there as well. Oh, yeah. All right. We ready to move on? Yes, we are. Okay. Today in sports history, June 7th, uh, 1966, uh, MLB draft. The Mets pass on Reggie Jackson to select uh, an antel- antelope? antelope Valley High School catcher Steve Chilcott. Hmm. Seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I'm still waiting for him to – to, still waiting for that to come to fruition. Uh, 1978, 36th, 32nd NBA championship, the Bullets defeat the Supersonics in game in seven games. Yeah, neither of those franchises exist in, the, in those same forms. The nope. Bullets are now the uh, Wizards. Yeah. Still in Washington, though. Mm-hmm. The Seattle Supersonics are the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City yeah. Thunder now. Yes. Uh, 1982, the New York Mets draft Dwight Gooden, Roger McDowell, and Randy Myers. Now, see, that's a little bit better draft. That's a much – well, I mean four years later, they won <laughs> the World Series. Yeah. Um, uh, 1994, uh, A's outfielder Ricky Henderson steals his 1,100th career base. Yeah. Is that record ever going to be – No. Matched? No. The stolen base has been devalued incredibly. Yeah. No. Um, Everyone just wants to hit home runs now. Uh, that's shifting a little bit. So the ball's been dead in this year. So there's a lot more. Uh, uh, some guys are going. I'm not trying to hit home runs. I'm just trying to get base hits. Yeah. And so we're seeing averages climb over 300 again, which is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Henderson always talked about himself in the third person. Of course. Um, <laughs> Ricky's going to steal second. You know. You know. Anyway. Yeah. He was remarkably talented. Yes. Yes. So who do you like? Um, well, I'm partial to the 82 draft personally, but probably the greatest achievement on there is probably Ricky Henderson. That's fair. We're going to go with that? Yeah, let's go Ricky. OK. Ricky would approve. 
Yeah, Ricky, Ricky, indeed. <laughs> and he would have said it just like that. Ricky, Ricky, Ricky approves. approves. Yeah. yeah. All right. One thing you liked. Uh, Andrea and I have enjoyed Stranger Things season four. Okay. Are you a Stranger Things guy? No. Okay. I. I think. Th- are you a horror movie person no. at all? No. Even like some light horror. Eh. It has some 1980s nostalgia that would – I mean that's the only thing that attracts me to, to Stranger Things that, I, that I've heard about, the, the whole 1980s nostalgia. Yeah. Um, like I mean the kids are biking down the street and you'll see – and it takes place in Indiana as well. OK. You'll see Reagan Bush signs, <laughs> you know, Reagan Bush 84, you know, you know stuff like that. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. There's okay. – um, the ridiculousness. I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous, right? right. Uh, the premise, but it, it amps up every season. And this season is like one of the characters is in a Russian prison. Uh, you know, you know. So there's there's a good Russian Cold War angle on it as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a it's been a lot of fun. Content warning out there, of course. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yes, gotcha. Stranger Things season four. They're they're doing it. So they released the first. Seven episodes. Mm-hmm. All of them are like an hour, fifteen minutes. I have heard some complaints about the length of these episodes. I have. No, I think it's wonderful. Okay. the The final two episodes aren't coming out till July first. Oh wow! And the final two episodes are like ninety minutes to two hours in length. Wow! So they're like movies. Why not just break those up into separate episodes? That's a good question. I I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe just the narrative arc of the of the story they want to tell doesn't suit it, doesn't lend itself to piecemeal. Yeah, and uh, I think they put, they're pushing it to July so that they can get another month's worth of subscribers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, out of them. Anyway, that was that was mine. Stranger Things. Okay. Well, uh, I'm also going to go with 1980s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night. So again, we're recording on a Friday. Um, my wife and I, along with uh, our younger son and uh, a buddy of his, we watched Top Gun, the original. Oh, nice. In preparation for my wife and I going to see Top Gun Maverick. So okay. by the time this comes out, I will have seen Top Gun Maverick. But uh, I guess – You're assuming you're going to enjoy I'm it. Assuming I'm assuming – I've not seen anyone say a negative thing about this uh, about this movie, and uh, I don't think I told you this. Our friends, the Cornells. Okay. So he's a prof at Spring Harbor. Yeah. They went to see it last weekend when it came out, and they're like, they texted us. And they're like, we have to go see this movie with you. So tonight, this is Friday. They're we're, driving down. We're meeting halfway. Oh, that's fun. Going out to yeah. eat and then going to see the movie together. Nice. Because this was – the original Top Gun was one of like the four movies that Rich and I owned in our apartment. No cable yeah. in college. And so basically had the movie memorized. Mm-hmm. And so even as we're watching it last night, I hadn't seen it in so long. But all the lines are still there in my head. Oh, yeah. And Kate leans over to me and she's like – Every time I hear them say something on the screen, I just hear you and Rich saying those lines in my head. So, uh, had had your son Jake seen it? No, he had not. He had oh not. my goodness! And he and his friend, uh, they liked it better than I thought they would. It's a good movie. It is. It is. Um, I don't think I've seen it since maybe 
two, it's it's over ten years since I've seen it's, Top Gun. It's on Amazon Prime. Is it really? Yeah. Hmm. So maybe that's a little date night for you and Andrea, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Get her to Top take Gun. a break from her intensive study. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have talked um, little NBA playoffs. We have talked Randy Newman's book, Mere Evangelism. Uh, And a reminder that we will be talking chapters four through seven next episode. We've talked about uh, Dr. Taylor Swift and the burden of defining one, determining one's identity. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Ricky Henderson. We've talked about 80s nostalgia. Yeah, we we did. I I think by definition we've covered our various Mm -hmm. topics. So all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.